0: And welcome back to the Rough Trade Edit podcast, brought to you once again from the intimate confines of my coat cupboard. This week I'm chatting to XL label boss and producer extraordinaire Richard Russell on the incredible new recording project from Everything Is Recorded, Artistic Approach, Ambition and Influence, and his new memoir. So, a little disclaimer that I visited Richard at his studio just before the lockdown in London and we kept a very safe social distance at all times. Um, that is coming up a little later on, but coming Coming to you next, of course, are bi-weekly Rough Trade Edit highlights, as selected by myself. Um, Although a lot of albums are actually on the move, with release dates being pushed back all over the place at the moment, the last couple of weeks have still been absolutely brimming with great stuff. This last Friday in particular was a huge day for new music. Uh, We had long-awaited records from Thundercat, Anna Birch, Yves Tumor, Pigs Time 7 um, to name just a very few. Um, a lot of people have also been sharing the love for North London's Sorry and their debut album, 95, which I will be previewing very shortly too. I also just have to add how amazing the continued support for Rough Trade and independent music in general has been over the last fortnight. We've seen people sharing their favourite new music, their favourite playlists, you know, long lost but long loved relics from their collection. It's really wonderful to witness and really open our eyes even further to the compassion and genuine affection our music community has. So thank you so much and please do keep it coming. So onto my little music showcase now. And first up we've got Rough Trade's album of the month for April. It is of course the mighty pigs, 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 pigs. Pigs. I had to count that on my fingers, I think that was right. <laughs> seven. Pigs times seven. Um uh, and their magnificent new album *Visceral*.s um, I'm actually going to read out the obi strip copy that sits across our Rough Trade exclusive version because I wrote it and I think it sums up the record very nicely indeed uh, so we've got powerful primal passionate music making an infectious ambitious raucous riff driven record a workout of sheer musical magnitude and absolutely their best yet you can grab this one on Rough Trade exclusive blood clot vinyl while stocks last and last time I checked they were are actually flying out the door. So step to it if you're into it. This is my favourite track from the album. It's called World Crust. I'm toning it all the way down with the wonderful Anna Birch, whose new album If You're Dreaming dropped this past Friday. We've got jangly guitars, blithe vocal harmonies, and an occasional undercurrent of grungy fuzz, all converged in seemingly straightforward songs that hide their complexities under sunny hooks. This is just such a divine album, I can't tell you. If you want a further taster of Anna's, talent please do head to our instagram tv channel and you will find a glorious video of a session anna recorded especially for us for our transmissions output i'll link it in the description actually because it is just so wonderful her voice is literally the purest thing ever you will see what i mean if you watch it and yeah here's the track tell me what's true Thundercat is up next with his much-anticipated new masterpiece, It Is What It Is. Its predecessor, of course, 2017's Drunk made our top 10 albums of the year list that year. So long has been our admiration of Thundercat, this new one living up to all of our expectations. It features musical contributions from friends Flylo, Ty Dolla Sign, Childress Gambino, Lil B, Kamasi Washington, Steve Lacey, Steve Arrington, Bad Bad Not Good, Louis Cole and Zach Fox. And yeah, in fact, we love it so much. We went and did a Rough Trade exclusive pink vinyl edition. Really sexy stuff. And here is a really sexy track. Um, This is Thundercat. I don't know why I'm laughing. I think it's saying sexy. I just don't feel very sexy saying that it's sexy. But it is sexy. It's really rippling as well. You'll see what I mean. This is Fair Chance. Some beer fueled belters now with my favourite pub punk shed rock rockers from Australia. I am, of course, talking about the chats. I flip in, love the chats. Uh, although some may consider this a collection of songs drenched in slapdashery, let me tell you, these guys know how to craft a song with infectious lyrics to boot. I promise you, all I want and all I need, all I crave is a good pub feed will engrave itself across your brain among many of their other cracking lines. Uh, that this album has to boast. And let me ask, how many of you thought a song about chlamydia would be on repeat on your stereo and that you'd be seamlessly singing along to it? Turn this one up, get your lockdown neighbours talking. This is The Chat with The Clap. Last week, pulled
1: a rope In the back, I you I was cautious
0: the chats i just adore them i really do they're so fun and so good uh next up and we've got north london's sorry who released debut album 925 a couple of weeks back and all my friends are talking about this one it's grungy dreamy heavily textured rock on an album that my god has been threatening to surface for years uh, and we're so glad that it finally has it's worth the wait and then some um, and yeah here's a great one from it that i've had on repeat it's called right round the clock See you. there we go another stellar selection of new music to hopefully inject some joy into your day thank you so so much for listening and supporting um i hope you're all keeping safe and keeping well as ever if you want to get in touch with us about the podcast or just have a general chat about music please just tweet us at rough trade i will hopefully catch you in a couple of weeks and until then enjoy this chat with the fascinating and very very wise richard russell So Richard Russell, welcome to the Rough Trade Edit podcast.
1: Pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you so much for inviting me to your incredible studio. I feel very, very privileged. The world is currently on pretty much a lockdown right now. It's an incredibly difficult time for so many, but I find music is often a place that people find solace and also some comfort. So my hope is that people listening to this podcast or any platform or music output at this time um, can hopefully be distracted, at least for some moment. Do you find music is a good distraction for you personally when dealing with any kind of anxiety or worries?
1: Yeah, I think it's the it's the best escape there is, really. I mean, I'm a very positive person, but this is a terrible moment. Mm. I mean, there is no getting around that. Mm. People are having a terrible day mm. today, uh, some worse than others. And in the midst of that, I think music's got the potential to help mm. and you know, my mum's waiting for an ambulance. I mean, it's a really, it's a, it's a rough like moment. Yeah. This, um, and I did just put some music on, and it. I mean, you can only expect so much from it, but it did, it did strike me that it is one of the only things you can reach for. Yeah, it's just got, it's got, it's got the the potential to help you transcend something, hasn't it?
0: Mm, definitely, I think it's a kind of reaching point for so many people. And maybe even when you don't even realise it, it can suddenly come from nowhere and actually just draw your mind to maybe a calmer space, I suppose. It's a tonic. It's definitely a
1: tonic. Yeah. One of the trickiest aspects of what's going on right now is everyone's so confused. People don't know what they're meant to be doing. Yeah. A lot of it's very confusing. Yeah. So there's probably something in being able to put on a piece of music that you know is going to give you a certain feeling. Mm. That's a genuine comfort and is... a reflection of the real magic of it
0: yeah 100 percent. but I'm here today to talk about your brand new album um, and it tells a story that begins at 9 46 p.m on a Friday night and ends at 11 59 a.m the next day um quite a straightforward question but the, I guess the concept for the record how did this come about and how did you develop it um from an idea to the kind of multi-lens multi-artist project that has resulted?
1: I'm, I'm always recording, so I'm not just doing that when I'm working on a project. I'm always in here, um, sometimes on my own, sometimes with different people coming through. And so I was, I had a few samples, and one of them was This World Is Gonna Break Your Heart, this sort of English folk song, um, and me and Infinite Coles, who I'd been working with on the first Everything Is Recorded record, mm-hmm. we wrote something on that. And it had a very strong feeling of aftermath to me of sort of the next day. And we were working on a couple of other songs, one of which took place in a club at night and the other of which took place, uh, it came from a story Infinite told me and Tick when we were recording, uh, we were just sort of doing some sketches out in Dorset. And he he told this story about this insane night out he'd had in new york and a journey back from a club to an after party and these three songs of all these different bits and pieces we were working on i i they're all sort of meant something to me and then i realized there was a kind of a story in them mm-hmm. contained in them it was mm-hmm. kind of there already and it struck me that maybe we could flesh that story out i felt like we had the ending and some stuff in the middle and then I read an interview by chance with uh, Francis Ford Coppola, who said, if you want to tell a good story, you need to have the ending first. And I thought, oh, "That's oh. that's an interesting coincidence. Yeah. Um, so I then just started mentioning this to people, and that everyone related to it and felt like they, could, they had different ideas for different experiences of theirs they could draw on mm-hmm. and write about, which would take place at different moments. So yeah, that's that's where it came from, and then it it fit pretty naturally, uh, slotted into this time frame and this period. And I had I'd labeled the times, uh, was it on there? It was, I'd labeled times on or track listing in the studio while we were doing it, and I actually ended up thinking, well, let's just keep those as part of the song titles. Yeah, those numbers. So I think people probably find quite confusing at first, but once you see what's going on, yeah, makes sense. Um, and it made the, you know, having all these different voices and all these different artists, um, they all related to it. They were able to say some quite personal things, but then it all felt quite coherent within the framework mm. of, um, this Friday night and, and Saturday morning. Cause you know, it's only half about the night out, half of it is about the, uh, the oh, other yeah. side of that.
0: Yeah. 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 I guess it wouldn't be an Everything Is Recorded project without an incredible roster of collaborators. Um, um Yeah, what a lineup it is for round two, as you mentioned there. We've got Infinite Cole's returning, you have his father, Ghostface Killer, um, which is incredible. Uh, you've got Penny Rimbaud, Maria Somerville, Keane Kavanagh, and so many more. I was kind of wondering, like, in terms of when you're making the record, is it led very much by yourself? Do you take a lot of input from the people that you collaborate? Do you reach out to them? Is it that you're working with them or talking with them and then inviting them on to the project? How does that kind of all work?
1: Well, the the way it worked out was Infinite is the through line from the first record. Yeah. And we talked about getting his dad to do something on the the first time round and hadn't got to it. And that came together for this. And I'd also been wanting to try and get into touch with Penny Rambo from Crass because Crass were a massive influence. Well the Crass were a massive influence on everyone, whether they realize it or not, mm-hmm. because they were so much part of the the creation of the spirit of punk yeah. and of everything that happened since that, in terms of DIY self-reliance and a certain spirit in music. So there's these two kind of musical superheroes there. But everyone else on the record is quite like at the start of their journey, you know? um all kind of on their first record in one way or another one Mm -hmm. at one stage of that or another Mm -hmm. um and that to me felt special and exciting to have this cast of people who are all kind of getting started getting the you know got big journeys ahead of them um with these two kind of musical superheroes and infinite kind of helping helmet with me um as a connection from the first record. And I, and I just work on instinct in terms of who the people are. You know, once a project like this is underway, I'm just open to, to voices I hear and I'm also thinking about different samples and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of think, well, if I played that sample to, you know, if I played that, for instance, like the, the Mikey Dread sample, if I play that sample to Flo Hio, I think that might mean something to her. Mm. That might spark something vibe-wise. So we did that in here. You know, that that, I played her the sample. I was actually just playing it on the CDJs, and she was writing and recording. And we did it, you know, kind of how you would perform in a club. Mm. Um, And it was very spontaneous. It was very quick. Oh, wow. As were were the majority of the songs on the record were done in that way where we got that, there was like an energy in the sample and we were kind of building the other stuff together simultaneously. And then I was pulling it together and, and, and generally leaving it, saying, that's that. I'm not I'm not gonna the, the exception to this is Dream I Never Had, which is a somewhat more epic production with a sound for piano, sort of long Sanford piano intro, which is beautiful, and this teardrop explode sample and Julian Cope's sample vocals weaved into AK Paul's vocals and guitar. So that was a that was a slightly more um involved uh recording production sort of an assembly process. But a lot of this is very spontaneous and, mm. and raw. That was what was feeling good.
0: So when did you first start recording? Did you wrap the record a lot quicker than you thought you would? Or was it always kind of planned that you wanted to release it around this time? Or what's kind of or do you not really have like a a schedule as such? It's just whatever comes as and when.
1: I mean, it's like it's like baking a cake, isn't it? There's a there's a point where you've got to you've got to kind of take it out of the oven. Yeah. Otherwise you ruin it. Yeah. Um So there was quite a lengthy period of just like tooling about Mm. um, and trying things. But then when the themes emerged and this cast emerged, it was all fairly um, focused and quick. Yeah. Really quick. Yeah.
0: So in all of your incredible career and obviously doing so much creation, do you now know when it's done or is it still, you know, like, oh, maybe we could have added that or... Do you ever look back on anything and think, "Oh, we could have tweaked it," or are you generally always like this is, this is what I envisaged. This I think is ready. Mm. I guess it's quite
1: a hard question. No, it's <laughs> but... an in- it's an interesting question. On the whole, I know when the cake's baked, mm. and and I and I think on the whole I know that with stuff, with other people's stuff, and with my own stuff. Um, yeah. I suppose everyone's vision is sort of cloudy in some areas and clearer in others. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that I've often felt when I'm working with, with other artists, I've been able to say you're, you're nearly done. You should be done. Cause of course getting something finished is very valuable as an artist. I mean, not even just in terms of the work in terms of your life, Mm -hmm. because it means you can get on and do something else. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's very few things that benefit from a vast amount of time being spent spent on them. Um, although when you're in the middle of making a record and like you've left the shore behind and you can't see the other shore, that is fun mm. that bit when you really are just in the middle of it
0: mm-hmm.
1: that is the best bit I think. Um, and once you're finished, then you're doing stuff like this. Nothing wrong with doing stuff like this. But it's not the same as actually being in the kind of the kind of white heat of the creation of things. Yeah. So I always think there's there is a bit of a tendency to stay in that phase. Yep. <laughs> but it is a good idea to complete things. I just believe it's good for people. It's mm. good for you, you know, it's good for you to complete something.
0: Yeah.
1: Get it out and then see what see what see what the next sort of places the next kind of stop is you know
0: and i guess if you dwell on something too much it there'll never be a time and it'll be finished you could always change it and
1: always you know tweak and
0: mix it up or whatever you can
1: you can so you've got to go with your you've got to go with your gut feelings on that yeah but i love i'm absolutely loving this Joe electronica album which came out on last week yeah which has taken I think it's taken 13 years, but it could be 10 years. Wow. And I also love the D'Angelo Black Messiah album, which took about the same amount of time. So obviously mm. that is occasionally yes. that, you know, you'll get a masterpiece um, and will kind of fall out of the sky after a decade plus. But I think those occasions are rare. Yeah. And most of the time, uh, you you know, you can get the work done, You can you can finish it and you can move on. And that's just a healthy thing yeah. to do.
0: Yeah. Um, In an interview you did recently uh, for Pitchfork, you say people are far too committed to the idea of success now and that there's not enough subversion. Um, You you sort of say that the audience can tell when people's motivations become questionable and when it becomes more like a business endeavour. And you say you don't consider yourself a businessman and that you've always tried to be artistic in how you do things at Excel. So you started or took over in Excel at, in 1996, I think.
1: No, no, 90, 90, 91. 91. Yeah, well, I started there in 90. Okay. Um, yeah, 96, we were on to a whole nother, whole nother phase. But yeah, 90, I started there. 1990.
0: But back then, did you ever feel kind of pressure to put out music that you thought would be successful over and above what you actually wanted to be created? Or has that never been something that you've compromised on?
1: Well, there's been a lot of phases. I mean, in the first instance, it was beautifully simple and straightforward in that we were making rave records for our DJ boxes mm-hmm. to play out um, in clubs and raves. You could not get it wrong, really. I mean, if you, if it was right for for your DJ say it was right.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and that was obviously, you know, and that era that XL came out of, I, I feel like all of our peers were pretty great. So you had this bunch of labels of like Shut Up and Dance from Hackney, Formation from Leicester, Reinforced um, from London Production House. Um, you know, all these fantastic labels doing hardcore breakbeat and all had, all of them actually were so like, were, were bought by DJs and punters. Mm just because of the label mm. that the tunes were on. Suburban bass was another one from Essex. Um, and then moving shadow. You know, a couple of these labels then kind of morphed into drum into the drum and bass era. moving shadow and reinforced, particularly. So that was amazing. And people, you know, the, the label was like an artist in itself because people would buy the records just because of the label it was on.
0: Yeah.
1: But that meant they were expecting a certain sound. Mm-hmm. So what happens when you want to get beyond that sound yeah, yeah. and when maybe the energy is draining out of that sound and there's new things coming along. So there, I think there was an in-between phase of like having to re, you know, Prodigy became a big, worldwide well, by success. And then there was a phase of having to kind of re-establish like, what are we doing here? What's it about? Um, and I really wanted to, you know, I think my ambition for the label really kicked in at that time, which was I really want to have something which echoes these great sort of big indie labels of the 80s before they all got sold to majors when there was just a lot of taste But it was eclectic, Um, and particularly Ireland, having started off as a reggae label and then doing all these, you know, I worked in the warehouse there when I was 15 and 16, so I was seeing that firsthand. It was quite mind-blowing. Tom Waits, Julian Cope, Grace Jones, still putting out a lot of reggae records. It was like, all right, this, like, that to me was, you know, multicultural. That was where it was at. So I think that was that was sort of my dream for it, and it always felt quite far fetched because we were a rave label. Mm. So I think when I used to sort of say that to people, I could tell people were a bit like, hmm, like <laughs> that just didn't seem like the likely outcome. Yeah, and I think that made me really like sort of double down on the idea of trying to do that.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think, I guess that particularly in the indie label world, there's like, I guess there's a lot of contention always between like. I want to do this, but I've got to kind of mould it maybe to a certain audience if I want to get a a kickstart, I suppose, before I get to a certain point where I can be a bit more experimental or can be a bit more myself.
1: As a label, you mean?
0: As a label, or maybe even as just as an artist on your own, particularly if you're unsigned, I suppose, do you feel like you need to put out a certain sound to attract label attention? Do you feel like you have to kind of sacrifice a bit of who you are? I, I think that does come into it from my experience of talking to people but I know it's it's,
1: that's a shame you know that's a shame if anyone sees it like that because I mean you don't for one thing you don't even need label attention because you don't really need a record label
0: okay
1: and so I think the idea of doing something different to what you really want to do
0: yeah
1: to attract record labels would always have been ludicrous yeah but really ludicrous now yeah because you don't need a record label and I think they're you know they were the gatekeepers there's a really good book called Sick on You mm-hmm. about this band called the Hollywood Brats, who are like a New York dolls. Yeah. And in the book, they so in the 70s, they um they've got a following. They're pretty outrageous. They're doing something quite different, kind of punk cross-dressing. Yeah. Um, and they get a deal, but the deal falls through. The manager says, okay, we need to get another deal sorted out quick. Mm. In the book, you see his schedule of meetings with all the a r people. And he's, the first label they go to says, it's a pass. And he says, I knew they were all going to pass. So every label passes. Every label says no. And at the end of this process, the guy in the band says, and that was it. We were done. Oh, wow. Now, I thought that was very telling. Yeah. Because now, if you were that band doing something outrageous, and you had a following, which they did, and you could play live, You'd be spreading that message all over the world. People would be hearing you mm-hmm. and you wouldn't need someone from a record company to, um, you, you know, give you permission
0: yeah. to do that. Yeah.
1: Because, of course, that's not healthy. No. And now that's not the case. Anymore. So I thought that was very telling and that was a real great illustration of how things have improved. Yeah. And, I, and I'm absolutely convinced a band like that now would be laughing. They'd be great. Yeah. They'd be just building it. And yeah. then the labels would be interested anyway. Yeah. And then they could decide if that was something they wanted to do, yeah. if that wasn't something they want to do. So I think that's very healthy. You know, record labels as an option. Obviously, I still believe, you know, the curatorial um, power, you know, is is that's great. There's still obviously a need for that. You know, if you look at someone like Warp, just Warp, you know, you look at the records they put out. Over thirty years then the 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 taste mm. of it from day one just as strong now how much great music they've been behind it's just an incredibly important thing in the history of British music I think a label like that it's massive and obviously that's a powerful thing um it's you know like what Caius has done with young Turks that's incredible you know that he's Th- with very few records, you know, very few artists. I think that's pretty trusted now. So if they've got a new project, I think you'd want to hear that. Yeah. Because between, you know, the the XX and Jamie and Sanfa and FKA Twigs and the things they've done, you know, if you hear they've got this new artist, Mustafa, you sh- you want to oh, hear check that. Check it out, yeah. No. That puts a certain pressure on you, of course, as a label, <laughs> yeah. but that's very healthy, yeah. that pressure. So I think, like, that's still a powerful thing. And as an artist... You know, especially if you feel some instinctive connection to the other artists on a label, the I can totally see the appeal of that. But you don't need it. So if they, mm-hmm. you know, if they, you know, and and, and labels can't possibly um, cope out all the stuff that they get approached of with. Yeah. So... So you know, you don't need as an artist. You don't need them. You can get it out there yourself. You've got to work some stuff out about how you're going to get the music to people. But the labels has to work that out anyway. Yeah, and the label is often only really piggybacking the ideas of the artist, right? And if the label's good, they might help hone it Mm -hmm. um, and sort of distill it. Um, But I think you're seeing a lot of success stories now where I think the labels played a minimal part in it, and I think that's healthy.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. I guess I just sometimes view it as it's so much more competitive potentially now with the internet and streaming and things than it was you know, 20, 30 years ago, that it's hard to be heard even if you do have something brilliant. So I guess people maybe out of inexperience just assume a label is the only way you're going to get that foot up.
1: But it's always been hard to be heard. And if you look at that Hollywood Brats example, mm. it turned out it was impossible to be heard yeah. unless you had the label yeah. on side. And now we're seeing a lot of artists doing, doing it you know a lot of artists coming from the street and doing it themselves yeah that's great and I yeah. think that, that that used to be very difficult yeah and now that's that's wide open because the, the, the technology enables that the technology is um a mixed blessing obviously mm. but it comes with some tremendous upsides
0: yeah do you find it more exciting putting a record up maybe exciting is not the right word more challenging but in a I guess we've got so much more. Platforms to get your music out there, like putting an album out in twenty twenty, than putting an album out in nineteen ninety.
1: Depends if it's great or not. Okay. <laughs> if it's great, it's exciting. Yeah. You know, and then the the places you go. You know, these are only formats, and I've never really been that hung up on it. I've mm. never really been that. You know, when it was, you know, it started off as twelve inch vinyl. That was the format. Mm. That's all we were really thinking about. Maybe you know, and then getting into albums and cassettes that people might play in their car. And then you know CDs in the '90s; these things all affect the music making as well, whether you're conscious of it or not. Yeah, the sound of what we were doing changed with the CD era, um, and you know, the, like the download age, but that was a minute, wasn't it? Oh, when people yeah. were buying downloads. That was quick. Yeah. Um. So people have definitely got like how ha- consumption in the back of their mind. You can't not because you're a listener. So mm. you know how you're listening to stuff. Yeah. And when you're making music, part of you is putting yourself in the, that position yeah, and imagining hearing it. Um, but the way that people hear things just changes all the time. And also, I, you know, I grew up listening to music on a transistor radio. I mean, it couldn't have sounded crappier. Music that a lot of love went into the making of, you know, mm. when production, you know, 80s production was a massive, you know. Mm. This was the era of when the production techniques got really sophisticated. So this unbelievable amount of precision, um, forensic attention to detail going into record production and we listen to things on transistor radios and they sounded fantastic mm. so i think when people start when i heard people on the from my world of music production complaining about people listening to things on iphones i was like that's the same as ever was yeah. you know yeah. it's like well does it sound great on there because some things will
0: yeah
1: and then it's and then new things come in like people see you know people there's a lot of sub bass in music at the moment but the people listen to things on iphones so you can't really hear sub bass on an iPhone. Yes. So that throws up a few interesting kind yeah. of uh, challenges for mix uh, engineers um, and producers. And I think all of that stuff is, I mean, quite nerdy, yeah. but quite interesting.
0: <laughs> um, going back to the record, funnily enough, it's interesting that you say you started with the end because the end is, or the the latter tracks, are definitely my favourites, um, particularly... Um, they do have names, right? After yeah, yeah. the number. So yeah, yeah. I really love Burnt Toast, pretending nothing's wrong mm. are great. And also my favourite, I think, is this world. Mm. It's just really, really beautiful. It's definitely one to listen to in these current times, Ooh. I think, as a Caesar. Yeah. <laughs> um But I guess do you have plans to maybe it's difficult to say at the moment, to bring this to a live audience, to to play it live like you did with the last record? Because I didn't get the luxury to go but Nigel went and he was floored by it said it was amazing. So I'm sure there are lots of keen ears out there. To,
1: yeah, well we, we were just ahead. starting to get that together. Okay. Um I mean we started off with some DJ things last time. Um but we didn't we didn't initially flesh everything out completely but we just worked with the vocalist and and from a sort of, and and Dex. And so we were just getting into we were just about to confirm some sessions doing that. Um and the world stopped, but mm-hmm. it will start again. Mm-hmm. So it would be lovely to be able to get this stuff out into the world. We were going to have we were going to have a, some kind of event uh, like the night it came out yeah. in London. Um, so that got put on hold. But I think I think when this moment hopefully passes and people can, can go out again, they're going to be really happy mm. to do that. Yeah. So that might bring a bit of an extra special energy. Yeah. I mean Am I right in thinking how our going out has never been suspended before?
0: I not in my lifetime. I don't I don't I can't even think of in the war, people didn't stop going to work. So
1: it's truly
0: so It really is a, a unique, unprecedented era. Mm. Yeah. Um Finally, I just want to touch on, because I could sit here all afternoon talking about all of the things that we have going on with yourself and Excel. Um, But you also have your memoir, Liberation Through Hearing, out. It comes out the day before the record drops, Mm. which is very nice.
1: Um, I wrote a memoir. It's terrible, isn't
0: it? (laughs) Well, I I was going to ask you, (laughs) just quickly, why did you decide to release it now for any particular reason? I guess, when is the right time to release a memoir, particularly when you've got a career? such as yours, that is so amazing and different and and it's still continuing, it's not like you're reaching the end? Or did it just feel like it would be nice to put it out and you hope people will take something from it?
1: And I mean, I was asked. Okay. And I like writing. And I thought the solitary aspect of it might be quite interesting. Mm-hmm. And also to make something without... You know, because there's normally a fair, you know, a fair bit of technology involved in what I do. Mm-hmm. So I thought to make something that didn't involve. Well, I use this Pages app on the laptop, which actually is quite uh, good. Yeah. So yeah, there yeah. was one, you know, there was one bit of kit, <laughs> which is a laptop and Pages. Um, so I thought that would be interesting, but I what put me off was I thought you know this is just going to be sort of dwell, I'm going to be dwelling in the past if I do this, and I never do that, never dwell in the past. But what then struck me was, but if I do that. You know, I won't be writing this book forever. I'll be processing a whole bunch of things. And also talking to all the people who I experienced these things with. Mm. That was the best bit, really, you know, was to talk to everyone who, you know, who was there where we and, and to kind of have these conversations of like, well, what was that all about? What were we doing? What were we thinking? And and to listen to the records again, you know, you don't... I mean, it's all whizzing past when it happens. I mean, life generally is all whizzing past, always. Um, so to just to reflect was good i think and it was also a way of saying okay well that's that you know Mm -hmm. talk about it yeah write it give it to people hopefully there's bits and pieces people can get from it that might be of use to them that would be good that's the idea of it hopefully there's some encouraging ideas in there um and yeah and then it's like okay well that's sort of that's that's almost like a line drawn there and we'll see what happens next you know because i'm into doing new things and making records and new people turn up the whole time and that's like you know it's great it's great uh um great way to spend your time
0: yeah so you'd be open for writing a second one at some point perhaps
1: well i think if i was going to write something else i'd probably rather you know i cover a lot of ground in this yeah um and so at one point, I was thinking, oh, what if, like... So when I was writing about, like, hardcore breakbeat, mm. I was thinking, what if this whole book was about hardcore breakbeat? And this was, like, completely zoomed in, like, all those labels that I yeah. talked about. What if I just talked to all those people from those labels and all those artists about their experiences at that? You know, there isn't a book about exactly that era. There are there are a few good books that have come out about, like, um, kind of pirate radio music and... but. Yeah, I think I I think there's a lot of room for documentation of all these things, and mm-hmm. I think it's really important to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think as we lose people, you think okay, it's very important to to capture stuff. So I mean, I doubt I will write a book about Hardcore Breakbeat, but I'd like it if someone did. Yeah, that it was an interesting moment. Yeah, um, and I do think it's it's good if things get if things get documented. So that's partly what this was as well. And I was kind of taking a sort of um, like a tour through my past and that, and they've been, you know, and I've been lucky to sort of witness and participate in all these different scenes of 80s hip hop and hardcore and um, grime and all these, you know, all these interesting things, you know, and gigs emerging in the UK. Amazing, amazing things to have seen. So that was nice to like um, reflect on that, talk to people who've been involved in that. And then I actually recorded everyone saying what they said in the book for the audio book. Okay. So as well as my voice, sort of telling the story, oh, you get like with these voices yeah, yeah. kind of popping up.
0: Nice. Mm. Well, you seem incredibly positive and very enthusiastic about everything you're doing, which is really, really wonderful to see. Um, there's none of this or pressure that I guess a lot of people sometimes feel when putting out their personal material. Well,
1: uh, yeah. I mean, it's understandable that people feel that and in some ways it's unavoidable to feel that. It's just that you've got to see it for what it is, you know? And ultimately, so I think it's only a problem if you haven't done, you know, if you haven't really been true to what you're meant to be doing. Yeah. Because then if no one likes it, you're stuffed. Yeah. Whereas I think if you're like, okay, this is what I was meant to be doing, mm. this was the noise I was meant to be making at this time, then it's what it is. It's out yeah. of your control. And then people either think it's the best thing ever or they think it's terrible.
0: Yeah.
1: And then you do something else. And that's really the only... I think if you look at the artists who really endure, that's the approach. Yeah. You know, and it's got to be, you know, here's a noise I made, you know, that that will kind of sit amongst all the other noise people are making. Mm. (laughs) Um, And then you make some more because you love doing it. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so, so much for chatting to me. Congratulations on the record and Mm. the book. Mm -hmm. Uh, Excel is our label focus for the entirety of April. So check it out online and thank you Richard and we will see you very soon.
1: Pleasure, see you soon.